Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in the foggy and mysterious-looking northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Thing Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we bring you guys every single week to give you our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, what's happening in politics, what's happening in the media, and trying to break through all of the BS, the propaganda, the lies, the gaslighting, all of it. And it is a crazy amount. Obviously, we weren't here last Sunday. That actually wasn't so much because of the holiday. It was because I had to travel. I had the opportunity to go to the great state of Florida last week. And uh, I will tell people Mm -hmm. that I got to watch a rocket launch, which was... It was not the reason why I traveled, but I was able to go see one because I was right by Cape Canaveral. So I was able to actually see a uh, SpaceX launch, which was... Super cool. Uh, yeah. I liked it a lot. That sounds awesome. Although Alan, um, I did call Alan while I was out there and had to confess to him that I forgot that alligators existed in Florida. Uh, I don't I don't know how I forgot. But I was so excited because I could see Cape Canaveral from my hotel. And so I could see all of the like displays and stuff that they have so they have all these lights at the launch sites and everything and i just really wanted to get this closer look so i started walking i walked over these barriers and down onto this like rocky craggy beach area just because i was like wanting to get so close to this and then i look and there's a sign that's like don't be here there's alligators and i had this moment where i was like oh god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like it's it's night so it's completely dark there's no lighting out here and that's just like there could just be gators everywhere yeah <laughs> so i felt <laughs> i felt a little stupid but uh it was it was a lot of fun it's really cool to see something shot into space uh i don't i don't care who you are that stuff's awesome uh so it was really neat it was a spacex launch specifically uh throwing some um satellites up so, um, you know, nothing too crazy, but just just neat. Neat that that exists. Like, we throw mm-hmm. things into space. That's pretty cool. That is so. very cool when you think about it. <coughs> but um, our stream is up. Let us know uh, in the chat. We're up on Rumble. So let us know if you can see us and uh, that everything's working because uh, my uh, broadcaster is looking a little weird. It looks like it's good, actually. I just had to refresh it so feel free to join us on the chat at rumble uh you can go ahead and check us out there we that's where we're we will be live at noon all the time of course you can also get this as a podcast after this show broadcasts in addition to that you can go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio and for 2.99 a month you can help sponsor this program help us kind of keep the lights on and everything running and we are going to dive into some crazy analysis because we are starting to get danger close to the iowa caucus we are in primary season I mean, obviously we've been in primary season for a while uh, but there has been a lot of interesting developments one of the big things uh, that has come out this week is that Ron DeSantis has completed what is now known as the Full Grassley. It was named after Chuck Grassley, the the senator. Uh, So for those who don't know, the Full Grassley is when you visit all 99 counties in Iowa uh, when you're campaigning. And specifically, this is Mm. campaigning for the Republican nomination at the Iowa caucus, also known as the Hawkeye caucus. 
and so he has visited. Uh, he completed his 99th county this week, and they had a big celebration. And it is considered a, uh, I don't know, a good thing. Is, I don't want to say it's considered a requirement, but it is a, it's a thing in politics. It is a thing in politics to try to visit all counties in Iowa. And uh, there have been several candidates that have done it. One of the most notable ones in my lifetime that maybe some people remember, maybe some don't, was Rick Santorum. Uh, I believe it was Rick Santorum doing it in his truck. Oh, that's pretty so, neat. Yeah. Now... The Iowa caucus is interesting, and I'm going to play a little bit of, uh, I'm going to play some audio here uh, of DeSantis talking about Iowa and what his expectations are uh, for the Iowa caucus, and then we'll get into uh, a little bit of kind of what that means and, and what's going to be somewhat interesting when it comes to that. So this is this is Ron DeSantis discussing uh, what he, how he believes things are going to go for him in Iowa. Well, I'll tell you what, doing all 99 counties is a tradition here. It's something that Governor Reynolds advised that I do. And it's it's a way to, one, show that you're earning people's support. Uh, two, it's a way to hear from real people uh, outside of kind of the media bubble about what's important to them. And then I think, three, it reminds you that at the end of the day, uh, you're a servant. You're not a ruler. And we really believe in servant leadership. So we went everywhere. We showed up. We took questions. And we've been able to build a really incredible organization. We've got over 30,000 people that already committed to caucus for us. We're adding more every day. Of course, we have the endorsement by the great governor here, Kim Reynolds, and of course by uh, Bob Vanderplatz, most recently from the family leader. So I don't think anyone's ever done an Iowa caucus uh, with this amount of institutional and grassroots support, and it's only going to build for here. And we look forward to being victorious on January fifteenth. So DeSantis, you know, thinks that he he thinks his position looks really good. He's got about thirty thousand people that are going to go. Um, and caucus. And in, I, I think that this is a good time uh, for me to take uh, take a second and explain to people how the caucus works, um, because it is interesting. Uh, Iowa caucuses are not like a primary. What occurs is they basically have community meetings. So several different uh, areas and locations are set up. I think there's something like 1,300, and maybe I'm out of my mind, uh, but like 1,300 locations throughout Iowa are set up. And these are places like union halls, school gymnasiums, you know, churches, and uh, party people will gather there and caucus goers can go. You have to be registered with the party to attend its caucus. You show up and what happens is uh, representatives of the campaign, not campaign staff, like Iowa people in Iowa who have chosen to represent a candidate at this caucus, uh, tries to encourage their neighbors to vote for their candidate. And then these people cast their votes and there's a minimum threshold threshold for the first round of voting. Uh, and sometimes I think the rules have changed a little bit, but the way it's normally done is if somebody doesn't meet the minimum amount of votes, then it goes on to a second round of voting. And then uh, those uh, delegates are proportionally uh, taken for the amount of caucus support that they receive. So these community centers choose a candidate and they choose like a first candidate and second candidate. And then those uh, delegates are separated out by how many they get in the county and things like that. So this isn't a direct primary. 
in the idea of like, for example, what will happen in New Hampshire is people will go to the polls, they'll vote. And then the Republican Party in New Hampshire has rules on how many delegates per vote or what have you. They break it down that way. The way that the Iowa caucus works is neighborhoods have the caucus. They all discuss it. And then they try to convince people to come and basically stand for that candidate. And then those counties or those those locate locales go to their county and say that they're, uh, you know, here's the amount, uh, let's say we're 60% for Trump, 40% for DeSantis and whatever. And they break out the amount that way. But it's not a uh, vote for vote. Make sense? Did I explain that? Okay, yeah. Alan? Okay. Eh, mostly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. <laughs> like, I can't be responsible for the fact that it's kind of weird. Um, but it is a it is a method of it's kind of a neat method if you think about it because the idea is that when people first show up, uh, they may be able to they can show up unaffiliated and have their neighbors try to convince them to support their candidate. And a lot of times in the first round of voting, if somebody doesn't make it over, I think it's a 15% threshold. And I don't know if the rules have changed necessarily, but if they're under a 15% threshold, then um, they have to do what's called realignment. And so it's like, hey, this person didn't make it. So the two choices are either the people who support, let's say it's uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, right? They have to either convince other people that maybe we're supporting Chris Christie or you know somebody else. They have to convince them to come over to Vivek's side to get them over that 15%. Or they will be convinced by their neighbors and say, like, look, your guy didn't make it. He didn't make it past the threshold, but have you considered so-and-so? Maybe you should come over here and vote for this person. Uh, so it's seemingly okay. But to give you a historical read on people who have won the Iowa caucus, I think that this will be a good uh, indicator of, because that's the whole thing right now. The Ron DeSantis's campaign seems to be hyper-focused on Iowa. They really want to win Iowa. He has spent all this time going to all of these counties. He wants to be number one in Iowa for uh, in the GOP primary. So why don't we go back in time and look at the other nominees who were chosen in the hmm. Iowa caucus? Okay. Iowa caucus 1976, Gerald R. Ford got 45%, Ronald Reagan 43. Interesting. 1980, George H.W. Bush got 32%, Ronald Reagan got 30. Hmm. 1988, I'm skipping the ones where they ran unopposed, like because Ronald Reagan ran in 84 unopposed. Now, notice that. 1980, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan became the president of the United States. 1976, right. Gerald R. Ford wasn't even the nominee at the end of this. 1988, Bob Dole got 37%. Pat Robertson got 25%. George H.W. Bush got 19%. Obviously, George H.W. Bush became the president of the United States. 1996, Bob Dole got 26%. Pat Buchanan got 23%. Lamar Alexander got 18. Now, obviously, Bob Dole did go on to become the nominee uh, and lost to uh, Bill Clinton. 2000, George, H. Okay. George W. Bush got 41%. Steve Forbes got 31 and Alan Keyes got 14. George W. Bush obviously went on to become the president of the United States. 2008, Mike Huckabee got 
Mitt Romney got 25. Mitt Romney ended up being, or uh, sorry, John McCain ended up being the nominee. Oh, okay. John McCain only got 13%. 2012, Rick Santorum, 25%. Mitt Romney, 25%. And Ron Paul, 21%. Mitt Romney went on to be the nominee. 2016, Ted Cruz got 28%. Donald Trump got 24%. Marco Rubio got 23%. Mm -hmm. So... They don't really pick the <laughs> they don't they don't really pick the nominee. They have not really in the time that they've been doing this. So it's in it, it's just one of those weird things that like we we saw this um, we didn't see it in 2016 necessarily, but like it, it appears the DeSantis campaign is very 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 focused on Iowa, very focused on Iowa, and for the life of me, I don't know why. Because Iowa has never been a bellwether. Sure. So, but but here they are. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily denigrating them. It's just, I mean, I can look that up, right? So, Iowa doesn't look amazing. And now with that, like, let's take a look at national polling. So I, I use real clear politics to try to get uh, any national to get a national average because real clear politics takes the aggregate of all polls and uh, joins them together. So this is the polling in Iowa. And remember that it's we have it's January 15th is when this is occurring. So we're going to start seeing votes happening in this primary next month. So it, it is very much crunch time. But here's the current standings uh, in in Iowa. Or damn, let me. Uh, I really hate how they bear this out. Sometimes I apologize. So, in the current polling, Trump is up. Uh, Trump has forty seven percent. Ron DeSantis has seventeen point three. Nikki Haley has fourteen point three. Those are the top three. For the Iowa, this is specific to Iowa polling. So Trump's sitting at 47%, DeSantis at 17 and Nikki Haley at 14 Now, so that's, that's Iowa. He's put a lot of time into Iowa. Okay. But New Hampshire comes immediately after. And that's the first, uh, New Hampshire is the first actual primary where voters go to the polls and then it's just, it's literally vote for vote. Make sense? In New yeah. Hampshire, Trump's at 45.7%. Nikki Haley is at 18.7%. Chris Christie is at 11.3%. And Ron DeSantis is at 77 Mm-hmm. Tracks. <laughs> Not surprising to me in any way. I mean... I don't know if that's true. I think it's a little surprising that Nikki Haley and Chris Christie are doing well, but well, okay, that is true. <laughs> it's surprising that there's they're in the running as much as can be considered in the running. That is true. That is well, okay. Surprising. Okay, so your comments more on the idea of second and third place don't even matter because of how much of a huge gap there is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's yes. That that would be my point. Absolutely. Yeah. Is, and I guess to me, it's not. It shouldn't be surprising, because it's Donald Trump. Like we were 
we were talking on our call last night and about, oh, it's not surprising that someone who's the incumbent uh, president, like Joe Biden, he's the incumbent. They're not going to really do a primary because he's just the choice for president, uh, for running for president. And I think that a lot of Americans view Donald Trump much like they would view an incumbent president. So he would be very, very difficult to unseat in any polling about choosing the next president because I think most Republicans, when looking at Donald Trump, see someone that is in their mind essentially as, the, as already the incumbent. Mm-hmm. Like, he was president just a few years ago. It'd be pretty hard not to look at him and think, well, he's just our choice because he was the president and we all voted for him in 2020 and we'll, I mean, we want him again. We, we wanted him then. We, nothing's really changed. We, if anything, we want him more. Right. Yeah. And, and well, and that's, and I, I would be um, remiss if I didn't give the national numbers as well. So national polling, Trump is at 62% nationally, DeSantis at 13.6, Nikki Haley at 9.6. I guess it is somewhat surprising that given the amount of discussion and talk and hand-wringing and commentary about all of these competitors to Trump, the reality is they're nowhere even close to him. Yeah. It's- and that's so... To me, it's almost surprising because I feel like the vast majority of right-wing commentators and people that are talking about the election should have looked at these numbers and gone, why waste our time even discussing DeSantis? Why waste our time discussing the viability of Nikki Haley? Like, it doesn't... I, I don't... And maybe, maybe you would know this. In any other um, primary election in, that you, we can think of, has there ever been a time where a candidate entered the primary with polling at 62% and lost the primary to someone that was polling at 13. <laughs> I don't I can't I can't think of a time that I've ever seen a candidate enter a primary with anything even near 62% or 45% or you know like it's just yeah. I I don't I don't think that this has ever happened. I don't know if there's just been somebody who's just eminently been and, and you you made a really good point. Like Trump is, for all intent and purpose, he's an incumbent. This is just like having mm-hmm. an incumbent. Like there are other people that are running, sure, but in reality, Trump might may as well be an incumbent because he was just president of the United States. And sure, like Joe Biden's the current president, but yeah, like he's Donald Trump walked into this for all in in every facet that you can look at it basically as an incumbent and mm-hmm. it is it at, at first I'll, I'll i'll put it this because this is going to get us kind of into into more of our discussion which was um i've I, i've taken a long look at the desantis campaign recently because early on and anyone mm-hmm. who's been listening to us and paying attention to anything um that we've talked about um, I was I was a very big fan of the idea of the primaries. I wanted there to be a primary, and I wanted people, you know, to uh, I wanted to see candidates come out there and and state their case. I was never upset. There are people in Trump world that got very upset over the idea that there was even a primary. They thought they should we should just coronate Trump and and you know move on. 
I hate to say it now, <laughs> looking at these polling numbers heading into Iowa, I kind of get where they're coming from because this has all just been a, it just feels really like a giant waste of time. Um, I didn't agree with it from the premise that like nobody should out, nobody should be allowed to run against Trump. But to be honest, I mean, I, they're not necessarily wrong in saying it's a giant waste of time because it is. There's just no, I'm not seeing any gains anywhere. What, what did we gain from this primary? Have we honestly gained anything? Was there anything unique that came out of it? The, I think the person, the candidate who has best communicated outside of like the Trump campaign, which to be honest, I don't think the Trump campaigns communicated all that well, but they could honestly just be like, what are they communicating for? Like, what does Donald Trump need to run out when 62% of people already are planning on voting for you? Like he doesn't really need to be Mm -hmm. out there. But at the same time, it's Vivek Ramaswamy. He's the only person that's been addressing something that hasn't been basically milquetoast, lame, weak need Republicanism. And so, but Vivek isn't, he doesn't look like he's going to really gain any traction at all in any of these primaries. But if there's anyone that's even moved the Overton window a little bit, it's been him. It hasn't been Nikki Haley and it hasn't been Ron DeSantis. And I think that that's the most disappointing thing. If, if I'm, if I, if I can just be completely direct with everybody here, like listening. And I think a lot of people, especially if you're on our discord and a subscriber, Everyone's kind of watched this arc uh, with me on mm-hmm. on our chat, which is I had really high expectations for Ron DeSantis. And the most fascinating thing for me watching this primary is the fact that the guy has a really great record. He has a phenomenal record in Florida. He has done a great job. There's a lot of policy stuff that Ron DeSantis has done that has been fantastic. Everything from a policy perspective that I have seen from DeSantis has been good. I like his policies 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I like that he pissed off the GOP. He made people so mad in the Republican Party going after Disney. Do you remember all the pearl clutching over like, it's an independent business. He should leave them alone. And there were a lot of voters that were like, they're trying to make kids gay. I'm not okay with that. Right. You know, but the standard conservative Republican answer is like, oh, God, the government shouldn't do stuff, even if they're trying to, like, gay your kids and do all this other weird shit. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, and so that was great. And none of that translated into the primary. It's like it's like DeSantis got advice from consultants that were like, well, look, you're going to you're going to be the not Trump candidate. So you have to be not Trump as hard as possible. And he comes off so lame. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sucks because I'll, I'm actually going to do, I'm going to do a highlight while we're having this discussion. I'm going to do, and remind me, Alan, are you able to hear the audio? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. I'm going to do this debate highlight. And what it is, is it's bas- it's a supercut that the DeSantis campaign made of him debating Gavin Newsom. And we'll talk a little more later in the program about that debate. But I'm going to do a supercut of all the stuff that he said. Because he says really great things. 
but there's something to be noted about the fact that that is not translating nationally at all. So here's a cut of all of basically DeSantis's best lines during his debate with Gavin Newsom um, Thursday night. The choice for America is this. What Biden and Harris and Newsom want to do is take the California model and do that nationally. This country must choose freedom over failure. He's the first governor to ever lose population. They actually, at one point, ran out of U-Hauls. I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida. He's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California. I don't lie about it. Necessarily you don't need to lie about it. Joe Biden is sitting on his hands. He refuses to take care of the border. This is the vision of Biden, Harris, Newsom. Open borders. Americans suffer. These liberal elites, they like to impose burdens on you. They don't want to have to face the consequences of their actions. I don't mind Gavin lying to me, but I do mind him lying to you. He is sitting there <laughs> saying that Joe Biden is willing to solve this problem. Is there anybody out there that actually believes this? This is a slick, slippery politician whose state is failing, people are leaving his state, and he's trying to run interference for his failure. What Biden would do, the people around him, they would look to California for the model to go forward in the next four years. That would... All right. Sorry, that was a repeat. There was a repeat there. Mm -hmm. Um, Great lines. All that sounded good. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And it's also hilarious where he's like, you know, I talked to a fella and he was telling me how much better it was. Oh, by the way, that was Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. You know, like, hilarious. I mean, really, really, really great lines. Fantastic presentation. I like it. Now, I have to admit, the little cringy that they had the epic movie score music in the background. But I get it. People do that. You know, sure. that's, that's it's a Fine. thing. Um, so he says a lot of good stuff. Why isn't, and I'm just going to ask you this, Alan, we didn't like really prep for this or anything, but why isn't that not translating? Why is he polling uh, so low? Because we have Trump. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's like for as, for as good as Ron DeSantis sounds, for as great as his messaging is, I think, at least in my opinion, the vast mm-hmm. majority of Trump people that would vote for Trump hear Ron DeSantis and go, wow, that's great. I like everything that guy says. And then there's then, then Trump is like, yeah, but I'm going to vote for Trump because Trump does all that and more. So uh, and for, for why, fun, why would I pick? Why, basically, the question is, why would I pick DeSantis over Trump? If I like Trump and I like his messaging, DeSantis seems like, well, he, I like DeSantis, too. But if I have to pick between the two, Trump's better. And so I just feel like the DeSantis campaign, I think, was basically doomed from the start. It's like, why was he even trying to be president? Because we have Donald Trump. Right. I mean, it's kind of it's actually kind of unfortunate if if he had been able to wait until 2028 and then come as a precursor or maybe if he was trying really hard to be Trump's vice president. I don't know. But at least to me, if it was a vote between Trump and DeSantis. I don't see a reason why I would want DeSantis over Trump. And that means all of his messaging kind of falls flat because in order to capture the Trump voter, you have to say the things that Trump says because those are the policies and that is the mentality that Trump voters want. Mm -hmm. And 
then the problem becomes you have to basically beat Trump at his own game, and that's just a non-starter because you're not Trump. And I think more importantly, DeSantis is a career politician. As close, as, as good as he can be, as close as he gets, gets to Trump, he will still lack a level of, I guess, brashness and personality that Trump brings to the table that will always set Trump above people like DeSantis. And then, so unless there is something that changes, like Trump gets dragged to Guantanamo Bay by the deep state or something, <laughs> then DeSantis is always going to be playing second fiddle. And so I think, and then it seems like the efforts of the DeSantis campaign to distance themselves from Trump inevitably look like attacks on Trump, mm. which the main voting base DeSantis is aiming at, Trump supporters, will find immediately distasteful and actively start to avoid the guy yeah so this has been my i guess i'll just i'll just tell the story on why i did it um obviously i you know i, I sit on twitter and i've been watching a lot of the uh d the different stuff back and forth uh with the with the campaigns and there have been times i've been blocked by surrogates for trump uh, for calling out certain things, primarily like Jack Posobiec, who blocked me because I said Trump's a coward for uh, sitting on Truth Social and not coming, you know, he he appeared unserious by only wanting to sit on Truth Social and being more concerned about running a social media company than trying to become president. Um, selfishly, I will admit part of that is because I want Trump on Twitter. You know, like just yeah. flat out. And maybe he will. It's just that I called him a coward and that upset somebody like Jack Posobiec. Fine. Um, but at the same time, uh, I've seen a lot of dumbassery coming from Ron DeSantis supporters. And a lot of that is exactly what you're encapsulating here. If I were to gauge, well, first of all, actually, let me back it up a little bit. One of the biggest mistakes that I think the DeSantis campaign made is that they actually only exist on social media. And oh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. And maybe people don't really understand that. But like, I only ever see Ron DeSantis on social media. Interestingly enough, I never see Nikki Haley on social media, but she's climbing. So she's out there yeah, in other areas. She's going in front of, you know, media and she's doing, you know, doing all these different appearances and what have you or or going, I don't know, like having people literally knock on doors, but she's climbing the poles. She's it's still nothing. It's like 9%. But like who gives a shit, right? So that that is basically nothing, but she's been climbing while DeSantis has been decreasing. But DeSantis has a massive social media presence. And a lot of people who are constantly, there's a couple of accounts like John Cardillo and Max Nordeaux and uh, somebody who goes by the, the handle Florida Dad. Um, these are somewhat relatively decent sized accounts. And then you have obviously the Chris, uh, Christina Pouchat, who's his, uh, uh, sorry, um, press secretary. And then you have uh, Jenna Ellis, who was the Trump lawyer who became mm -hmm. a DeSantis supporter. These are people who have decent social media followings that have been out there kind of, you know, pushing for DeSantis. But in reality, they're not. Yeah. All I've seen from these accounts, so every communication that I personally have seen coming from the DeSantis campaign has been crying about how mean Trump people are. 
It has been this mm. victim whining. The entire campaign has been victim whining. And to be, I'm going to be honest with you. Is the Trump campaign mean? Yes. Are Trump supporters super shitty to other people, you know, calling uh, Ron DeSantis a traitor, you know, and saying that he stabbed Trump in the back? Are they attacking literally every person? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of people who used to be, you know, Trump supporters or were big Trump supporters and or they worked for the Trump campaign itself. And some of them went over and started pushing for DeSantis. And so Mm -hmm. everybody called them you know, garbage and, and called them names and said that they were traitors and all this other stuff. Now, is it fun to watch? No, it's not. I don't, I don't personally like it that much. And uh, you know, it's whatever, but then at the same time, it's social media. That is literally how social media is. But then Ron DeSantis wants to run an entire campaign on social media, but then cry about how mean it is. And you have to understand that Donald Trump is a known entity. We know that Trump supporters are going to be vicious. They're going to do memes. And to be honest, they make fun of people just to make fun of people, just to annoy them, just to piss them off. Mm -hmm. And so when you see all of these influencers that are like, look at how mean these people are to a woman. This person's a woman. And it's like, okay. I don't understand. And it's like, is this the kind of campaign you want? A campaign that treats women this way? And it's like, are you, first of all, they're just trying to annoy you. And everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. Like people who are regularly kind of on the internet know that a lot of times people just say shit to piss you off. Right? You know that, Mm -hmm. Alan. You've seen this. Oh, of course. So when you start clutching your pearls about it, you just look like a pussy. And True. you're engaging. Haven't you guys ever heard don't feed the trolls? And then all they do is feed the trolls. But what it's turned into is the only regular communication that I see from the Ron DeSantis campaign on the internet where they seem to solely exist is whining about Trump. Or or more appropriately, whining about Trump supporters which I count myself in that, and so do a lot of Republicans. So do basically all Republicans count themselves as Trump supporters. Unless you've actively abandoned Trump and say, I'm never going to vote for him, then you're, at least in some form or fashion, you might like Ron DeSantis. There's plenty of people in the Republican Party that like Ron DeSantis. They think he's great. They think he's done a good job as governor, and they like what he has to say. But they still consider themselves Trump supporters. And so when you have comments coming from some of these larger accounts that basically talk about MAGA idiots, MAGAdonians, MAGAtards, and the MAGA cult, you sound like Democrats. You sound like the Lincoln Project. You're mm-hmm. actively destroying your... Not only are you destroying DeSantis's campaign like at all during this primary, you're also destroying his entire political future because you're mad at Trump supporters on Twitter. You're upset because MAGA Mom 1976 made fun of you once and it butt blasted you. And now you're on a screed, like pissy campaign to basically destroy all Trump supporters. And it the language basically comes off as they're they want they don't think that MAGA should exist in the Republican Party. Now, 
just so everyone's aware, I did say the numbers, MAGA is 62% of the fucking Republican Party. So it's probably a really also, bad... what does that I even mean? Yeah. MAGA shouldn't exist? Like, their opposition to MAGA, Make America Great Again, what, is the, what are the policies of MAGA that they actually object to? Yeah, see, Do they that... not want border security? Do they not want a stronger America? It's like, MAGA is a relatively fluid term. Mm-hmm. And when people say, we don't want the MAGA Republicans, it's like, okay, well, what do you want? Open borders? The, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what's not <clears throat> MAGA and Republican Party. Right. It's like ne neoconism that we all agree at this point is not conservative, is not good for America, and has demonstrated a consistent string of failure. Right. And is that what they, it, clearly that's what they want to return to. And it's no wonder that the average person doesn't want that. It's like all of, all of the opposition to Trump and MAGA and whatever, I think is completely astroturfed by people that want to spit on the average American for their own selfish ends. It is, it is basically people with money and power, the quote elites, People with money and power that want to serve themselves and their agendas at the expense of the of America and the average American. Yeah, and I, I think even even if that isn't the intent of some of the people that are saying this, that is exactly what you just said is what most voters see. And mm -hmm. so it, it doesn't matter yeah. if that's actually your intent when you're like, well, MAGA, and it might be just, I don't like mean Republicanism. I don't like that these Trump people are so mean to me on Twitter. You know, it could be any of the, or it could just be personal, you know, bitchiness. You know, some of the, like some of the people that I named, like Max Nordeau and, and John Cardillo and Christina Pouchaw, Jenna Ellis, they've all kind of been relatively, like, they, they've, they've really taken the brunt of a lot of attacks from Trump supporters. Um, you know, making fun of them, ridiculing them, giving them a bunch of shit, mostly because they react to it every time, like proven every time they are going to lose their shit and start sobbing on the Internet. And so, like, you can't <laughs> look, we all just have to accept that there is a contingent within uh, Trump supporters that are basically weaponized autists that are going to rush onto the Internet and make you cry. And I think it's sure. Honestly, it's very useful. I accepted that when I initially went out during this primary and kind of talked a lot of shit about Trump and some of the stuff he was doing because I didn't think it looked good. I didn't think it looked good that he was bailing out of the debates. I didn't think it looked good that he was hiding on true social. These were things sure. I wanted to see him front and center and present. But I also never cried about the fact that, <laughs> sorry, HD, <laughs> HDR Cynical just put 4chan for Trump in the chat. <laughs> but, um... I, I, I didn't, uh, I, I never, I was never blind to the idea that it was like, yeah, I'm going to get attacked for this because of course I'm going to, mm -hmm. because I'm not an idiot, but I didn't sit there and yeah. think like, I wasn't like every Donald Trump supporters just so mean to me. Oh my God, I can't handle that. Like none of that happened. I was like, yeah, of course these people are going to yell at me. It's the internet. That's what happens. You know, and then you just argue back and forth or you don't engage. Like, there's a million things. I had somebody, I think I sent, this was months and months ago. But I had a guy who, like, legitimately was like, you better beg to get back into our movement for talking about Trump this way. Like, and if we're, if we're feeling, like, in the mood, we'll let you come back. And it was like, this is the gayest response I've ever read. But it was a Trump supporter mm -hmm. who was basically like, how dare you be disloyal? You know, you're going to have to beg to come back. That kind of thing. 
but I also wasn't like, yeah, I was like, this is completely indicative of Donald Trump's politics and the reason why the country is going to fail. It was like, yeah, there's a fierce loyalty for the guy because people feel something coming from him and they're not feeling that coming from any other candidate. And now I know that was a kind of a long thing, but I'll get to the point. The whole reason why I did a deep dive into the DeSantis campaign, why we're talking about this. It's not because of the um, it's not because we're, we're moving into the Iowa caucus, because like Alan said, None of the percentages mm -hmm. of the second and third candidates matter. It just doesn't matter. We basically know how this primary is going to go. Unless something insane happens, which I just don't see. Like, do we trust the polling? No. But do we trust 62%? Okay, let's say it's let, let's say it's 52%. Okay, Trump's still going to become the nominee. Because other people are going to drop out. And I highly doubt that people who support Vivek Ramaswamy are going to suddenly support Nikki fucking Haley. And even if, even if they did, even if everybody drops out, except for Ron DeSantis, yeah. he still doesn't get the percentage to put him over Trump. Doesn't happen. All right. So and at the, end of the, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, does the average Republican, the average American, do they want any of these other? Uh, do they, what do any of these people offer that Trump doesn't bring the doesn't also bring to the table? Right. It's like, well, hey, have a primary do all this, you know, it's great. It's great. We're, we have all this polling because now we can unequivocally state that even after, even still, regardless of what the establishment GOP says, regardless of what the Fox news says, regardless of what any of these comments, the commentariat says, regardless of any of what the never Trumpers want to tell us, regardless of any of that, the average American wants Trump to be president they want his agenda they want his personality they want what he delivered when he was president mm -hmm. and they want that more they want the promise that trump made to, essentially to the american people they want to make america great again and everything we've just seen is just this petulant fit that all of these people that thought they controlled the conservative movement are having because it's every the because their own voters are realizing that they were sold a bill of goods by people who never were intended, intended to deliver anyway. It's like the GOP, for the last 20 years, have they fixed the border and stopped immigration? After all of their voters continuously demanded it? Nope. Did they get rid of Obamacare and replace it with something better or do anything positive with health care? Not particularly. Like, what's a good win that conservative, that all of these conservative Republican politicians have actually given us. They kind of stopped more gun control legislation, maybe. It's like, <laughs> kind the of? The country has not gotten better. Like, mm. especially post-Obama. You had the whole, um, oh, what was it? The Tea Party movement. Damn. Like, you had the whole Tea Party movement. They elected a bunch of people that were coming in saying, I'm a Republican and we're going to stop all these things that are dragging America down into communism. What did they do? What, what impact did they make? Did they stop any of that? Maybe they arrested the fall a little bit, but, I mean, wh where is my resurgent American nationalism that I was promised, that I've been being promised by Republicans for decades now? Mm -hmm. It hasn't materialized, and with the current people in the party and in power serving the interests that they serve, it will never materialize. 
And that is why people voted Trump in 2016. That's why they voted Trump in 2020. And that's why they're preparing to vote Trump in 2024, because they want do not want what the GOP has delivered for the last multiple decades. And they know and I think a lot of it is a vote of no confidence on the part of the American voters towards the GOP. We no longer have any confidence that they will deliver what we want. And so we are looking outside of the candidates they want us to vote for, for someone that will finally do the things we want the government to do, that will roll back what we see as a destruction of the American nation. That is what we want. And we will not compromise anymore for any of these neocons that are given to us by the Koch brothers. We don't want that anymore. We don't want any of these people that are slavishly devoted to free trade and globalism and wars in foreign countries. We don't want that. And we are, I think, as Republican voters, are sick and tired of those being our, of being told those are our only choices. Mm -hmm. That to be a good American, a good Republican, a good GOP, or we have to vote for people that are at their core morally repugnant and don't serve the interests that they tell us, that are morally repugnant liars. Like George W. Bush, did he have any giant wins for conservatism or did he basically squander his presidency and get America bogged down in a bunch of foreign wars that we should have avoided? Did anybody else that's ever like John McCain, he ran for president. What was he going to offer us? None of the like, Mitt Romney. What was he going to do that was so wildly different? I think Republican voters are clearly sick and tired and very suspicious that the GOP is actually out to screw them out of what they want. And that's why Trump is popular. And that's additionally a big mark against anyone who's an establishment Republican. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, these people come with baggage of being associated with the GOP. Mm. I certainly look at them and say, all of these people that hate Trump and by extension hate me, love these people? Well, if the enemy of my enemy is my friend, that also means the friend of my enemy is also my enemy. Yeah, and no. because people who claim to be my enemy want our friends with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and all these other people, that means I should probably be pretty skeptical of those people. Will they deliver or are they doing what Republicans have done my entire life? Say one thing during the election and do something else when they're elected. And I'm not even saying Trump was perfect about that. But at least Trump offered more than these people. I at least have a hope that Trump will not do what the establishment GOP always does, which is screw its voters out of the policies that they vote for. Yeah, there there were absolutely certain things. I mean, you know, COVID comes to mind, uh, the bump stocks, yeah. you know, like there were things that Trump did that I didn't like. But I've sure. never gotten the sense like he wasn't smarmily like he did dumb shit. Let me put it that way. He was he did dumb things like going along with a lot of the covid stuff, I think, was Trump being stupid, not him being malicious, not him being influenced by like not him like not him lying to the American people and doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's not malice. It was stupidity. And honestly, I want I want stupidity a lot more than I want malice. John McCain is the reason Obamacare exists. Even though he the GOP as it's like in its entirety campaigned consistently for years against Obamacare, John McCain, one of the top Republicans in the GOP, 
was the guy who put his thumb down and ensured that Obamacare stayed. John McCain did that. And he was going to do it the entire time. So think about yeah. that. I mean, he wasn't, uh, Obamacare wasn't a thing when he ran for president, but that means that there was a contingent high up in the Republican party that told voters that they were going to get rid of this Obamacare thing. And well, the biggest part about it is, and they never had a plan. Donald Trump won the presidency yeah. in 2016 and the Republican party had zero fucking plan to get rid of Obamacare. They never even came up with a plan because they were all lying to the voters the entire time. Donald yeah. Trump wasn't that doing was, that. That was the most disappointing thing. That was that really hurt my um, confidence in the Republican Party when they had the chance to get rid of Obamacare and it was re and it was revealed that all these people, all of these these politicians that campaigned and ran on promises of we're going to get rid of Obamacare had no plan. And it was revealed like, oh, that was that was just something you said. That was a lie to get elected. Yep. And you never actually cared to <coughs> fix the fix it, to even address like the underlying problem was healthcare was too expensive. Yeah. They didn't have a plan to address that. They didn't have a plan to get rid of Obamacare. They, they had nothing. Yep. And it was just like wait a minute. That was that was very eye-opening experience. That was all of that energy of the Tea Party. These parasites just globbed onto it, lied to voters so they could get their greedy hands on the levers of power. Yeah. And then do what with it? Not serve their voters, but just enrich themselves alongside the Democrats. Yeah, no, fantastic. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. Anyone who was associated with those people, I, why wouldn't I be highly skeptical that they're not just more of these goblins that are enriching themselves off the American taxpayer? That, yeah. I, it's probably more likely than not that they are. Anyone who's in a politician in America today, it's probably more likely that there's some ghoul suckling off the taxpayer teat than actually a public servant trying to do something good for America. And it's like, prove me wrong. Like, yeah. give, give me somebody that I can have some trust and faith in because I kind of am pretty skeptical of a lot of this now. So the um to to give everybody kind of the 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 background here on on why I went down this big rabbit hole and why we're having this discussion was um as I was flying home uh you know being stuck in an airport for the majority of a day uh well different airports but <coughs> um you know I get onto social media because what else are you going to do when you're super bored right and it was uh I I was flying home uh, Thursday and so it was heading into the the big debate uh, between Newsom and uh, DeSantis. And I saw that Steven Crowder was going to do a live stream of the debate, which is a thing that he really likes to do. And, you know, he made the funny, like, uh, what, what is it? MMA type battle card that they make for the two fighters and just did funny stuff. It's, it's Steven Crowder. He just makes silly, sometimes cringy jokes like, ha, ha, ha. But he called Ron DeSantis a rhino. And then he made fun of the whole boots heels thing. Which, by the way, I still think is stupid because I wear cowboy boots. So you can go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> but the DeSantis campaign lost its fucking mind. They were so angry. Steven Crowder, Alan. Steven Crowder. Not 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 exactly like a like a like a boat shaker. You know, 
he's an all right guy. I like him. I, you know, whatever. Um, I, you know, I, he was one of the first podcasts I really got into. I used to only listen to like AM radio, but like you got upset over a joke that was made by Steven Crowder. If that guy's upsetting you, you're unhinged. And there were people, people from the DeSantis campaign literally like trying to encourage people like stop listening to his stuff. Like if you have a subscription, you should cancel it. Like you're. You're trying to cancel people who have actually very large media platforms for conservatism. And these are the same people that went after like Candace Owens. Like, look, I don't like Candace Owens at all. But you're an idiot if you're going to go after every major like commentator because they're not desantis enough. Like, what party do you want to have? After all of this, because you seem to want to get rid of anyone that's made any headway like what Alan's been talking about. Alan, did you disappear on me? Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like every everything that Alan just went through, the things that pissed him off about the party, the things that he felt like he's been betrayed by all of those things. We have seen certain commentators address. There has been a, a, a resurgence starting in about 2015. There have been a ton of content creators that have come out, and Steven Crowder's one of them, Candace Owens is another, and there's a lot of other people who really became, uh, be, be basically came out of the woodwork during kind of the Trump candidacy and all this other stuff in into his presidency that have been very directly stating these types of things, saying these are the things that are wrong with the Republican Party, here's things that we need to fix. And they have, honestly, there is a burgeoning new generation of Republican and like nationalist voters that are coming out. If you think, (laughs) if you're one of those neocon kind of Lincoln Project types, if you think the current electorate is scary because of their fervent nationalism, Wait till the next generation. Because. Yeah, there's only one way it goes. It's like oh, there's yeah. only one way the country goes. And that is like Americans that view the country one way are going to coalesce more and more into a more solid oppositional block. Mm-hmm. And we are going to split apart more and more and more. And conflict is going to arise it, as America splits apart. There'll be more conflict, and the camps will harden further. There's there's no place in America anymore for the center of the the, the centrists. Yeah, they're, they're just going to die off because it, it America has basically become a giant prison. And what happens in prison? The formation of gangs mm-hmm. for simply because of self defense. And you're going to start seeing the sides coalesce because we are now a prison where everyone is at each other's throats. Well, and why you couldn't, you can't be a centrist anymore because you will be left alone and essentially undefended. It'll be, well, I don't really like all this nationalism, but what's my other option? The communists that want to kill me? Well, I don't really like all of this, you know, all of this, this new uh, right wing stuff. I find it scary. Okay. Well, great. Well, um, we don't care. We don't care anymore. It's like, you, that that mentality is obsolete. That, yeah. it, it's gone. Like it, goodbye. We, you, there's no future for a middle of the road. We're all like, America, like, let's be honest. Is America gonna all 
wake up tomorrow and join hands and sing kumbaya and reassert the founding documents and get rid of Indigenous Peoples Day and it'll be St. Patrick's Day again and we're going to put up all those statues that got torn down and we're going to, you know, we're going to be America again. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. There's no future where that exists. Oh, no, there the, is. The only future that exists is the camps hardening into, let's say, American patriots and globalist slaves. Like, that's what it's going to be. And mm-hmm. we are going to, we are rapidly hardening into two different countries, and there's only going to be conflict. The future of America is conflict between the two sides, and some sort of middle of the road, let's all play nice together, loses in that conflict. I was going to say, um, there, right. there is a situation. There is a situation mm-hmm. uh, where where that does happen, where where we you know we're going to be America again and all of that. It's it, yeah. I'm not I'm not actually defying you. It's just it, it will happen and it'll be very fascinating because if if basically if we don't stop the march of progressivism in the way that we're seeing it now, like just so everyone's kind of aware, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit because we're uh, we're coming up on the hour mark here, but. Um, you know, the FBI is investigating Americans and arresting them because of their politics. It's just hands down because of their politics. People are being persecuted yeah. by the FBI, the DOJ, and the intelligence community because of their politics. That is happening right now. If that kind of stuff doesn't stop, and if there isn't justice for the amount of corruption that we've seen, the foreign money flowing into the Democrat Party, the influence operations Mm -hmm. that the Democrats have engaged in, and the direct, uh, honest, like the hostility towards the regular American in this country that has been promulgated by the Uniparty in Washington, D.C., if that does not start getting slowed down, it's already almost too late, but it might be Mm -hmm. reparable right now. If it doesn't, there will be a resurgence in American patriotism within the next few decades. And what it is going to be is you are going to see American fascism and people are going to joyously accept it. Joyously. You will see Americans excited to support fascism because, and understand this, this isn't even an attack against fascism. Fascism is a reactionary movement against progressivism and communism. And the reason why it is as, um, what's a good word to use? The reason why it needs to wield state power so so broadly is because it's the only way to fight the current state power. What ends up happening is countries that go into really any dictatorship like this or anything anything that anyone's worried about, is so mu- the the administrative state will end up seizing so much power over Americans' lives that you can't just have a well the Constitution sure is neat gee shucks that will never win because it can't, that currently can't win the Democrat yeah. Party violates the Constitution constantly and nobody cares nobody can do anything about it there's just a random judge who doesn't give a shit about the constitution who's like yeah we're going to we're going to throw Donald Trump in jail because I don't like him and guess what constitution can't do fuck all about that right and we're, and it also current system also is basically one of mob rule like convince a bunch of idiots that we need to do x y and z actually don't even do that just say convince a bunch of idiots that uh, they need to vote for you unless it's racist they vote you in and then you can do anything you want 
like, well, you know what? Guns are banned. Yeah. And uh, if you object to that, you're a racist. And the vast majority of Amer of P of especially liberals would go, well, I don't want to be a racist, so I guess I just have to go along to get along. Do 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 do. Great. Every every right is on the on the every right that we have is on the chopping block for these people. Right. And the vast majority of our fellow Americans are so morally and psychologically compromised that they can no longer be relied upon to maintain the country that they inherited. And like the Constitution, for example, Constitution is a great document. Constitution only applies when you have a nation of people that value the Constitution and those freedoms. The vast, a large swath of America no longer values those rights and freedoms. Therefore, the Constitution no longer applies to them. Mm -hmm. And the Constitution no longer applies to the people they vote for because they are actively voting to supersede and suspend the Constitution. Okay, well, th at, what, at what point did the founders ever envision a system that would withstand that level of attack? It's all predicated on the will of the people. And if the will of the people is to get rid of the Constitution, well, then I guess the Constitution goes away. It's like the whole system is set up to respond to the will of the people. And I think it is obvious. What's the will of California voters? <coughs> right. Get rid of the Constitution. What's the will of voters here in Washington? Get rid of the Constitution. What's the, what's, what's the will of the vast majority of liberals in the United States? Get rid of the Constitution. And so it's, well, if we're a democracy, which I'm told that we are, <laughs> I guess the Constitution is the Constitution is essentially rendered obsolete by an electorate that does not want it anymore. Right. Now, and, mm -hmm. and that, mean, that just means we're prepped for conflict because a lot of the country does. A lot of the country, at least let's say half the country, value America, value the Constitution, value the rights and freedoms, and value this ideal that we once had. But that is no longer the dominant ideology in the country. We are riven by this ideological split, and that is going to create a huge amount of conflict that cannot be overcome without seeing it through. The, the idea is the only way out is through. It's like, how do you have the, like, the fight has to happen. And we've tried to reform the system from within through political change. That's a level of fight. And hopefully we can do it on that grounds. Hopefully we can elect the right people. We can gut the bureaucracy. We can change things from the inside, hopefully. But at the end of the day, we, there is some level of fight that has to happen. The war has to be fought, and there is no option to cower away from it. it there is either, it's essentially either are we going to pursue victory or, or are we going to pursue defeat. Being left alone and not doing anything and not being mean, that is no longer, that, that option is defeat. So it's, we're going to have to be mean, we're going to have to do things that will make people like all of these never-Trump Republicans sad and upset and uncomfortable, but... What we win from that is a country that we can be proud of and call our own again. And if we lose on that, then, you know, Soviet Union 2.0, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this is this is something that, you know, people are. I mean, that's it's what it's the reality of what is going on. And it's just I'm 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 just trying to explain to people that it's like it, basically stop being cowards 
Um, yeah. If people would just, if, if the Republican Party could stop being cowards and realize what time it is, then, you know, exactly. they, 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 they could solve this. But they, they don't. They don't it's realize like, what time it is. They're so detached from the American, from, from everyday America that they have no idea how, how absolutely bad it is. And, um, and there's two options. Mm-hmm. Either they don't know how bad it is or they know how bad it is and they're intentionally being ignorant of it. That's true. Yeah, we, we, we do what always have t- to leave the door question, open. Mm-hmm. What would it take for you to not know that the FBI is abusing its power and targeting conservative Americans for their politics? I mean, there's a guy named Ricky... Uh, I think it's Ricky Vaughn. There's a guy named There's a guy in jail for mm-hmm. memes mm-hmm. he put on the internet. Yep. Who was convicted by a judge. Yep. Okay. What? What? The judicial system clearly is against us. That's that's a that's ridiculous. The FBI was investigating parents at school board meetings and labeling them domestic terrorists. There's people who are at January 6th who have not been convicted of any crime, let alone terrorism. Who have been put on whose children have been put on anti-terror watch lists by the federal government. If you are any if you are any sort of Republican politician, either you don't know any of that is happening, which is in and of itself completely unforgivable and makes you totally unfit to wield any political power because you're just so ignorant of what is happening or you know those things are happening and it's too inconvenient to fix so you're not going to bother with them and that also renders you completely like a pointless politician so either they're ignoring what's happening or they don't know and either way those are not people that are going to help us win this fight No, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, uh, by the way, uh, real quick, um, just a note to Metal Mama Sue in the chat. Uh, great Lamb of God reference in the chat. Uh, it's a metal mm. band. You probably wouldn't know them, Alan. Excellent. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. And the cowardice of the GOP is, has always been mystifying. It's one of those things of, you know, it's, there's the joke of, I want the, um, I, I want the GOP to be the pallbearers at my uh, funeral so they can let me down one last time. Uh, yeah, and that's good. This week, so this week, one of the things that the GOP did, and this is, this is like, look, I don't know a lot about George Santos. I know he was a weird dude. And uh, when I saw people initially complaining about him, I looked up just a little bit about him. And basically the two things that, that stuck out were gay Latino. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I know why Ooh, the idiots wow. in the GOP supported this guy. Like, like, if you want to ask yourself, how did somebody who seemingly has, like, so many things wrong, like, how did the party not catch this? It's because the party didn't want to. It's because the party saw gay Latino and they got a big old, they got a big old ESG boner and were like, that'll show them. That'll show the left. We'll have a gay Latino. You can't call us racist or homophobes now. Take that, Democrats. And that is the kind of idiocy I absolutely expect from the GOP. Um, and so yeah. instead, they got a guy who's weird as shit. Like just like I said, I don't know a lot about the whole case and everything against him. I've heard him talk, and the dude's freaking weird. And it should have he should have set off alarm bells. But like I said, they had too much of the ESG boner because the GOP sucks like that. Anyway, 
regardless of all of those points, Congress voted to expel George Santos because he's uh, facing indictments <coughs> regarding some campaign finance stuff and apparently a lot of other weird things. But just understand that the GOP, I guarantee, walked into this with, well, we have to let everyone know that we're principled and this guy's doing bad stuff, so we need to get rid of him because we're principled people. And the Democrats went, yes, yes, no, you're right. Mm -hmm. That would be such a good thing. And the GOP gained literally nothing for doing that. They got rid of a seat in Ooh. Congress that is going to go to a Democrat. They added a Democrat vote to Congress and they gained exactly fucking what for that? Are Democrats suddenly going to be like, wow, those Republicans are so principled. I think I might vote for them instead. No. No. Are Were there Republicans that were like, gosh, I really hate Joe Biden and how he's destroying the country and I hate what they're trying to do to my kids and I hate how the economy is making everything more difficult. But gosh, this George Santos guy makes me really consider voting for Joe Biden. No. Yeah. So what was the fucking point? Like, you can't get rid of Rashida Tlaib, who's openly supporting Hamas in Congress. You can't get rid of Ilhan Omar, who violated immigration laws and married her brother to come here. You can't get rid of Joe Biden, who's accepting money from a foreign country. You can't get rid of Bob Menendez, the Democrat senator, who... The FBI, the corrupt and criminal FBI, this dude was so bad that even the FBI, who will bend over backwards for Democrats, went, okay, but this guy committed crimes and accepted foreign money from Egypt. You can't get rid of that motherfucker? But, okay, cool. Yeah. You, you can't impeach Mayorkas for failing to secure the border, but you all can come together to get rid of George Santos. Great job, Republicans. You fucking idiots. The only yeah. time the Republican Party wow, can seem guys. to do anything effectual is when it hurts itself. Yeah. yeah. So it's, well, very, it's very depressing. Well, yeah, and then you've got Bowman, right? Everyone remember when there was the, vo the vote that was going down um, and uh, Representative Bowman pulled the fire alarm, which is obstructing an official proceeding in which there are people sitting in jail right now for doing that. It was considered an act of terrorism. If you were if you were a Trump supporter, this guy pulled a fire alarm and you know was found guilty of doing it. He tried to claim like, "Oh, I didn't know." Oh, geez, shucks. He interfered with a vote in Congress, which is the, that's the charge that's used against a bunch of people on January sixth. And he was found guilty of doing it, but you can't get rid of that guy. Seriously? Yeah. You could, if you were the GOP, just use the Democrats' words against them. You said that this was a crime. One of your people did the crime. You have to vote against him. You have to. You have to expel him from Congress. But they won't. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, no. They Unfortunately, they will not. It's because that they're... Is... This is, to, to the point that you were making earlier, this is why people like Trump. 
Because Trump, well, even even if he doesn't actually do anything policy-wise, because he, he is the president, he can't, like, run Congress, too, but he would be out there bitching about this. <laughs> he would be out there, and that's that's what actually upsets Democrat or Republicans so much, is Trump would go out there and he would just be like, like, I don't understand why this Bowman guy is still here. Didn't he commit a crime? I guess I guess they're all just criminals. We just let it. I and he would be like, Speaker Johnson, like what, what's he what's he doing? This guy's a piece of shit. Why why is he just letting this criminal sit there? Speaker Johnson should just have him arrested. And then all these people would be like, Oh my God, Donald Trump's saying they should just arrest a Democrat and blah 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 blah. You know, it's like okay. Is he actually going to, like, you know, is, is Donald Trump going to have police arrest Representative Bowen? No, but he's going to say it, and then the media is going to have to talk about it because, oh my God, Donald Trump said a bad thing. It's so horrible, probably because Bowman's a black man. They're going to do all of that, but the American people are going to be like, well, what the fuck did this Bowman guy do? Like, oh yeah, he pulled a yeah. fire alarm to interrupt a congressional vote. And to be fair, most people would be like, oh, that's really stupid, like, but I don't think that he needs to be kicked out of Congress for it. And then literally anyone else in the room can go, well, yeah, but remember January 6th, they arrested all those people just for showing up and protesting for interfering with the vote. So, and then it doesn't matter. That does change the Overton window at least a little bit. It changes it a hell of a lot yeah. more than Democrats are the real racists. Right. Because even if it doesn't make a liberal suddenly be like, oh my God, my eyes are so opened. I can't believe I've been lied to my whole life. They at least have to sit there and go, well, yeah, but January 6th was bad. And like, well, yeah, but they were only being charged with interfering with a vote and getting 20 year sentences. And they'll be like, well, but I don't like them. So that person at least psychologically has to be like, okay, I understand that I'm not being fair and it has nothing to do with justice. I just need to accept I hate those people and I want them in jail. That is mm -hmm. something. It's yes. something. And that is the effect that you get with people like Donald Trump as opposed to the polished politician who's like, well, I'm not going to say that because it would make the party look bad and it might upset, you know, we would have to deal with the fallout in the media. It's like, who cares? It's a fundamental misunderstanding and I think oftentimes willfully so of the, of the challenges and conflict confronting our nation. It's like, I don't want to do the hard thing. I don't want to have to deal with the actual complicated mess that is current day America. I just want to be able to do my time in Congress and enrich myself as much as I <laughs> Become can. Become a millionaire and somehow. If I can just keep the gravy train rolling, that would be great. Can I just keep it, the gravy train rolling and benefiting off this system? That Can we just do that? Well, I don't. It's like, I don't want to rock the boat because things are going pretty good for me and my family and, you know, because we're making millions off of insider trading so we just <laughs> can i just and i think that that's what the gop is set up for the gop is set up to just loot america as much as possible while it goes down the drain because all of these people have are spineless and a and just cannot offer cannot offer good opposition so the gop has to be hijacked has to be hijacked or something new has to take its place but the gop is not an opposition party the GOP is not an opposition party. It is a go-along-to-get-along party, and it is full of people from the top down that just want to go along to get along so that they don't have to do any hard work. Right. Well, and here's what's and fact, interesting. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. most Americans fall in that category because, of course, why wouldn't you? No one wants to have to deal with this stuff. No one wants the inconvenience of it. 
but we rapidly are losing our ability to sit on the sidelines and just hope for something to get better. Well, and we're in a very interesting position now. I have two clips that I'm going to play here, and it's shit's getting weird, Alan. I don't know a better way to yeah. say it. Shit is getting weird. Um, the first clip that I'm going to play is from a press conference that was given in Chicago by community leaders, um, specifically black community leaders in Chicago. Um, and speaking of when we want to talk about the changing of the Overton window. So part of it is I know we spent a lot of time talking about like the other campaigns, specifically like one of the things that was noted and one of the things that Alan really pointed out is if, if you haven't noticed it yet, one of the biggest problems that it seems to be is that there isn't actually outreach happening. The GOP as a party seems to be really bad at outreach, but Trump is not. And specifically, while Trump has not been necessarily on social media and has seemingly not been around, I don't know if it's true that he hasn't been present in certain areas because here's one of the clips that I'll play. This is from Chicago. This is from a press conference in Chicago this week from community leaders in the black community. Let's have a meet with the Republican Party. If Trump want to come to town, come and meet with us. Trump come have a meet with us, Trump. Trump we are not going to stand by, stand idly by while you starve our community. These are our children and they will not be targeted while you take and make a better life for a new group that just walked into this country yesterday. $9,000 a month for these people. You know how hard it is? A thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for every child, every illegal immigrant child that goes into Chicago public schools? You give them money for uniforms and computers and all these things? We're not going to stand down and we ask that the Republican Party come and sit down and have a meet with us. We're not okay with you taking our resources and giving them to people who don't live here. But now you found money for the migrants. That's right. We're calling foul for any independent candidate in the city of Chicago, any Green Party candidate in the city of Chicago, and any Republican candidate in the city of Chicago. Now it's your time because we are done with the Democrats. Right. So that's Chicago. Mm. Yeah. And you know so why that's is. happening? Why is that happening? Immigration. Because residents in Chicago. Now, and like, think about this. First of all, the economy is shit. And of course, Joe Biden's lying to everybody. I don't know if you've seen some of the headlines recently, but. Even though you, <laughs> everybody who has to go pay for stuff can see that everything's more expensive and you're not making more money, uh, the the entire media is saying you're a liar. <laughs> so that's what everyone's dealing with. And it hurts people even more in the inner city where incomes are lower. Higher prices hurt them a lot more uh, in, in urban environments than a lot of other areas. So these people are being affected the most by uh, Joe Biden's economic decisions and his failures. And now, mm -hmm. interestingly enough, while these people are suffering, now understand, I don't support a bunch of government programs and welfare and things like that, but it definitely has to be a huge slap in the face if you're in inner city Chicago where there's a lot of problems going on, there's a lot of homelessness that they have to deal with and a lot of low-income families, but somehow the government of Illinois and the federal government run by Joe Biden 
is seemingly able to find hundreds of, well, millions in all honesty, millions of dollars to give to illegal immigrants in Chicago. That's what he was talking about. He's Illegal immigrants in Chicago are being given $9,000 a month. Cool. And so, yeah, the black community in Chicago's pretty fucking pissed because all of their resources are being strained and they're being crowded with illegal immigrants. So anybody who needs to go to even the food pantry, right? Or needs to, say, receive some money uh, from any of the charities or even state funding, there isn't any because it's all going to illegal immigrants instead. Cool. Yeah. Uh, very, I wonder how many of these people's vote will be cast for Democrats regardless of this, of what they say here. Yeah, do you you have no faith that this changes much? Well, the thing is, I don't necessarily have faith the black community of Chicago actually casts mm. votes that get counted for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's, so that's a great of, that's, point. That's my that's my two cents. As as that is not where I saw that going at great. all. <laughs> like, hopefully, this works out great. I would be thrilled if I if that was the case, but. Mm-hmm. It's this what, is a lot of talk and I will mm-hmm. hold my breath. But well, yeah, yeah. This is a lot of talk, but I will be surprised when there's action. It is, however, a very good indicator that the that Joe Biden is not Joe Biden's position. The Democrats position among the black community of Chicago is tenuous enough that it is causing the black community essentially of Chicago or these these folks <coughs> essentially to say, give us more Gibbs or we might not support you anymore. And mm. the, it, it, it is a notable thing that people that are in such a hardcore Democrat stronghold uh, feel comfortable voicing these concerns. At the same time, it is Chicago, and I the political machine of Chicago is relatively known for its corruption, but still, it is, no, it is notable, especially that um, they're so excited about Trump and they are it, so upset about immigration. And I think that is yes. a very good place to be. So, like so there, there is a huge positive here because the, the community that generally is, that is supposed to be so terrified of white supremacy by that, the, you know, this is what the media has been well, pushing for them. This they're is supposed a, to be so terrified of that, that they will always vote Democrat. The fact that they are more concerned about the resources going to recently arrived immigrants than white supremacy is a notable exception and it's good to see. Well, and just to remind people, so so this is this is a, everything you said is 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 correct. And what I don't want to see is the Republican Party be like, maybe we can also do Gibbs. Um, I certainly don't want to see that. But understand, like though it's true that it does it does feel there there is still a little bit of the like we're not getting, you know, like we should be getting money from the government, not the illegals. And I feel like people should just be given the most opportunity so they don't need to be dependent on the government. Um, that is very yeah. much the Republican stance. But one thing that, that is notable is their complaint. Their, the actual thing that they're mad about is the illegal immigration, which is a non-starter for the Democrat Party. So it kind of doesn't matter. Like, 
hopefully the GOP isn't stupid. Now, do I think they're going to win Chicago? Absolutely not. I don't. I don't think that that's going to happen. At least not anytime soon. And Allen is one hundred percent right. Chicago's absolutely corrupt, and it doesn't really matter. These people could all vote for Trump, and you would never. They would never know. You would never see it happen because it's very highly unlikely that Chicago actually has a single vote counted, uh, as opposed to just certain people being able to choose whoever it is. But understand. Right. That these are community leaders giving a press conference and they are complaining about Joe Biden and they're basically saying that they want to abandon the Democrats in Chicago, Illinois. And people may not remember this. And it's very difficult to, to think back this far. There's something very special, very special about Chicago, Illinois. And I don't mean the mob and I don't mean all of this other stuff. Recently, very special about Chicago, Illinois. And you all might not mm. remember. His name is Barack Obama. Obama was a representative in the Illinois state legislature representing in Chicago where he was a community organizer. He then became a state senator for the state of Illinois. Then he became president of the United States. Barack Obama's neighborhood is abandoning the Democrat party because of his vice president. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden was Barack Obama's vice president. There should These people should be elated over Joe Biden just because the smell of Obama, of Obama is on Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much you have to fuck up to lose Chicago only eight years after Barack Obama... The guy who they all fucking know is out of the White House. That's how bad Joe Biden is doing. That is how poor Joe Biden is doing. The political machine that created Barack Obama is losing the people in that city. Are you... What the fuck is happening? That's how bad yeah. Joe Biden is doing. Now, does it mean that Illinois goes red? Probably not, but that would be hilarious. I bet people would get killed. I bet if somehow Illinois ends up supporting Donald Trump in 2024, there will be a rash of uh, mysterious suicides where people shot themselves twice in the back of the head. <laughs> I bet the mob murders a lot of people in Chicago if that happens. And I'm here for it. Yeah. But at the same maybe. time, there was a there was another interesting thing that, that I, I don't know. And maybe there's a conspiracy to be found here. But uh, here is a leader of one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter being asked about Trump. You uh, BLM leader and you're now endorsing Donald Trump saying he's the best candidate we have. Why do you think he is the best candidate that we have? Because everybody else sucks. <laughs> so is he just the best of a bad Good group? Answer. I mean, is he still, is he not that great either, but he's just like better than the rest? Well, you know, I like Trump, you know, um, personally. And I think right now who we have sitting in the Oval Office is just a deep disappointment. You know, I deeply um, have disdain for him. And, and, and I, I really dislike the vice president as well. 
what what is it that why how why do you not like them versus like Donald Trump? I would well, imagine because- you're you're alone in this. Do you feel alone in this viewpoint in the world that you're in, being in the BLM movement? No, I feel like no. the tide is starting to turn. I feel like really? a lot of black people are starting to pivot off of that democratic plantation for so long. Uh, we've been slaves to that uh, party. You know, actually, we've been mental slaves, uh, afraid to get off of that plantation because, uh, you know, we've been used and abused for so long at that party. They don't value our vote. Uh, their policies are basically um, racist policies. And I believe it's a racist party that strikes at the heart of the the black family and the nuclear family in general. And I believe Donald Trump is, he's the opposite. He's, he's going to tell you how how it is. He's going to give it to you straight. He's not going to, um, you know, uh, be a hypocrite and, and, you know, stab you in the back like the democratic party loves to do. So yeah, weird, very weird. Now what's interesting about this is this is um there's a there's a deeper schism that's coming out of this because the the person that you guys just heard his name is Mark Fisher. And uh Mark Fisher was the senior director of uh Black Lives Matter in Rhode Island. Um now what's you know what what's amazing is like Black Lives Matter the organization released a, a statement claiming um like the, the Black Lives Matter Rhode Island political action campaign said that in response to recent media coverage, we would like to clarify that Mark Fisher is not and has never been affiliated with our organization. The views expressed by Mr. Fisher in referenced uh, in the reference Fox News segment do not reflect the values or beliefs of BLM RI PAC, which is a political action committee. But he was a co-founder of Black Lives Matter in Rhode Island. Doesn't really matter. Point is, is that what number one so this happened and it's a i think it's a it's a very big deal now obviously i think black lives matter is a shit organization um but at the same time this is once again another weird and fascinating thing because what you have to understand is um i don't want what i do not want is to see the republican party start going more into identity politics we just talked about george santos right and what I don't want to see is like the Republican Party has done. It doesn't matter what they've actually done. Let me put it that way. The media has presented the Republican Party as being this hugely racist, awful party. Yet you still have people like this guy who are going to go out into public and say, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And that's a very big deal for somebody like him. Because he is going to get attacked by literally everyone. But, and understand that a lot of the people that are going to attack him are going to be like, oh my God, how can you support these people? They're super fucking racist. Did you listen to some of the stuff he said? It was some of the most milquetoast arguments that you would hear about Trump or the Republican Party. He literally said Democrat plantation. This guy obviously listens to people like Candace Owens. Who says shit like that? And for whatever reason, though, it influenced him. Basic arguments like that. And the reason why I'm pointing that out is I bet that someone like him, let's just take him as a use case, is 
frustrated and annoyed over everything that's going on in the country, probably stuff like illegal immigration, maybe even some other factors. It could be stuff like what's going on with Israel and Palestine. It could just be the economy. And maybe he just did even a basic little bit of, well, I kind of want to listen. Like, let's just, let's just pretend. I kind of want to figure out what the other side's talking about. Um, well, I've, I've constantly heard people talk about Candace Owens because she's a black chick that's a Republican and everybody talks about how awful she is. And he listens. And that was enough seemingly because like, did, like some of the comments he said, like, well, you know, getting off this Democrat plantation. And, you know, I like Trump because he just says how it is. These are basic bitch like talking points. But that's what had the effect. Like just a little bit of a breaking of the media conditioning and suddenly this guy's like, yeah, I'm going to vote for Trump. <laughs> that's yeah, fascinating to me. Things have gotten bad enough in certain areas of the country that people have willfully gone outside of the propaganda sphere and even just a taste of, of the not propaganda and they've completely changed their entire outlook. That's insane to me. Number one, it shows how much the Democrat Party has control over people using media propaganda. So much so that they've never even heard basic arguments. They've, they've had the landmines planted in their brains that the minute anybody even starts bringing up a slightly right-wing argument, the landmines explode and they run away. But all it takes is them disarming a couple of those landmines and suddenly they're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to I think I'm going to go on national television. And as a guy who was a co-founder of Black Lives Matter, I'm going to sit here and say that I'm going to endorse Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it is it is rather shocking, although I would maybe pull back the enthusiasm just slightly because since the guy's the founder of Black Lives Matter, we know he's a serial liar. Well, yeah, I. Don't don't misunderstand. I didn't say I was enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> because there is always that part of me too that wonders, like, what is this really about? Mm-hmm. Like right. Well, it, like you said, you don't want things to be to d- descend into um, identity politics. Identity politics is central to this guy's worldview. Yeah. And while it is great that he maybe is getting off the plantation and endorsing Trump, there is no future for people like this in any kind of movement that is not that is going to redirect the course of America. Yeah, the only way that this the only way that this becomes a good thing, let me put it that way, is all right. Let's say this guy and maybe these people in Chicago are like. We should just let, let's just give them a chance. Let's just give the Republican. The Democrat Party's not working. Let's give the Republican Party a chance. And then the Republican Party just yeah. stays doing what it's doing and doesn't buy into doesn't go. All these blacks voted for us. Maybe now we should do reparations, you know, or some dumb shit like that sure. and just does what it does. And these people go, yeah, my life got better. All the race. But what I want to come out of this is all the race based shit is just a lie. It is just a lie to keep me uh, suppressed. So I, they use it basically. They're weaponizing, they're rep, wep, weaponizing racial things um, just to make me vote for them. I'm not doing that anymore. And all of a sudden, you get a whole bunch of weird, rugged, in, or not weird, but you get a bunch of like rugged individualism out of the black community. That would be fucking fantastic. Also, real quick, I do want to note one of the other things that he said. Was he talked about the destruction of the nuclear family 
That's a yeah, weird. Yeah, that's a. It's interesting, and it's not at the same time because one thing that that is notable about the black community, as weird as this sounds, is there's always a lot of there is religious stuff there. Every church is a very common thing, especially with inner city black people. Um, it's it's just it just is what it is. Black churches are a huge part of the community. I know that that's surprising in an area that you know has a lot of the problems that we see in the inner city. But it's a very true thing, especially with the older black population. You know, grandma will make you go to church. It is a thing that she is going to make you do. And one of the other notable aspects of that is when you start talking about certain social issues, especially like homosexuality and uh, transgenderism, these are things that are not accepted at all in the black community. At all. Sure. And... I wonder, even with all the Marxism that you get out of BLM and all the victimhood nonsense, I wonder if part of that's the straw that broke it. Or, well, let me let me phrase this differently. I wonder if part of the abandonment, if this is all true, if this guy legit was just like, fuck this, I'm out, I'm just going to go for Trump. Just remember, BLM stopped mattering. The minute, the minute Joe Biden got elected... BLM stopped mattering and the people who like started the organization all became millionaires and disappeared. So you could be a guy who was helping run a BLM chapter in Rhode Island and you saw people like Patrice Cullors buy a $6 million mansion and four homes in total was able to buy four homes. And then the Democrat party was just basically like, well, thanks for getting us elected. Bye. And you're like, well, what about like all this stuff we were going to do? Like we were talking about building a school. We were talking about doing this other the community center, blah, 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 you know, whatever. And they go, yeah, no, we're, we're good. Joe Biden got elected. Yeah. Please don't riot anymore. Yeah. Hey, could you not riot because Joe Biden got elected? Could you maybe not be upset? Like it'd be super great if you just didn't do any of that anymore. And I wonder because... One of the things that is, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly positive about this, but it is fascinating to me because I remember that a lot of people that supported Trump, oddly, were also people that were very big into the Occupy Wall Street movement. And once the Occupy Wall Street, like once basically Occupy Wall Street started harming Democrats, it disappeared. And I wonder if there might be a little bit of a wake up like that because you have people like, uh, um, Oh, darn, I forgot her name. Very, uh, <coughs> very popular um, right-wing uh, journalist and, and commentator who used to be a liberal, um, Cassandra Fairbanks. Um, Cassandra mm. Fairbanks was a big liberal um, who used to, you know, she was part of Occupy Wall Street and she was big into like those Democrat protests. And that is what opened her eyes was when the Democrat Party basically had no more usefulness for Occupy Wall Street. And then Obama basically had the most people who, like the most former Wall Street executives in his cabinet. And she was like, holy shit, like they're not fighting for us. And that opened her eyes. And then she went pretty severely right wing after that. I wonder if that might be happening here. That would be very interesting. 
I, I think that that's that's a lot of hope casting on my part. But it, it would certainly be, is. yeah. But it, the point is, I just like being able to see it said. And what I also want to know though is, how do you think the Democrats are going to react to this kind of stuff? These are really good headlines, regardless of if they're true or if it's just kind of nonsense or whatever. These are headlines that make Democrats uncomfortable. So how are they going to react? Are we going to suddenly see a police shooting and Black Lives Matter riots Mm. to try to get them back in the fold? That's what I'm wondering about this. What do you think, Alan? That wouldn't be. That would be pretty funny. Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I don't know. I think a lot of the votes cast by the black community are basically fraudulent. Um, I think there's massive ballot harvesting operations that happen mm-hmm. there. So it's kind of hard to judge what their actual viewpoint is just based on polling or voting numbers. Um, and likewise, I think it is somewhat difficult, even if the vast majority of the black community doesn't like a candidate. Is that reflected in their voting patterns? Hard to know. I think it is I think it is a good thing to see this sort of conversation happen and to essentially force the Democrats to react. Mm-hmm. How are they going to react? They might simply redouble double down efforts to, to do fraudulent vote voting in black communities. Then they don't have to do anything. All, right. They don't have to deal with the problem. They can just go, well, I mean, we just redouble all the ballot harvesting and fraudulent voting prop, uh, things that we already have been doing. And then it doesn't matter how these people think. Since they already seem like they have some contempt for a lot of their voters, that would be definitely on brand for the Democrat Party higher-ups, especially at the local level where these things have already been going on. No, I, Yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. Like, whether or not this shifts voting, who knows? Because, yeah, I, I agree there's a lot of nonsense there. But having the discussion happen, I think, changes... It does change a lot of dynamics. What I'm wondering is because there's quite obviously, or at least the perception of a schism occurring, I wonder I wonder what the Democrat reaction machine is going to look like. Um, because mm-hmm. it would be interesting. Like they're gonna want to coalesce BLM together again. They, like they they're going to need to have something. I almost guarantee that, you know, um, for those of you who, who may have seen it, we're, we're already starting to see like echoes of 2020 again. Uh, there's, you know, suddenly hospitals are being overwhelmed in China with some sort of pneumonia, but this time it affects kids. So it sounds like oh, China finally released. Humanity. Yeah. China finally released another bioweapon for the, the upcoming election to make sure that their guy stays in office uh, <laughs> or it's all bullshit, you know, but like, I, and I've seen I've seen com- people talk about RSV suddenly, and so it's like, you know, we're we're going to be going to be heading into another campaign season, you know, after this winter and going into next summer, <coughs> and we're already trying to see fear mongering over respiratory viruses again, and so it's only a matter of time until you suddenly there's going to be a like oh this cop shot this aspiring lawyer you know in the middle of the night in a white guy's house that he was just looking for a cup of sugar from his neighbor and he just got shot and you know something (laughs) you know this aspiring scholar was just he you know was just wandering through this dude's house in the middle of the night because he was making sure everything was safe Something like that's going to happen, and then everyone's going to want BLM to protest. And the question is: Is do they show up, or are they, or are those same people yes. going to be too busy 
um, are those same people going to be too busy doing the Israel-Palestine thing? I I don't know. That's a it's hard to know how that goes because the, I I think I feel like any chance any any chance for a riot you're going to get a lot any well the problem is I think it's hard to know how much of the Black Lives Matter riots were actually grassroots or how much of them were contrived via um, the Democrat Party. I think they were all contrived. I don't think they were grassroots really that, at all. Yeah, I think that if the Democrat Party doesn't want these people to riot, you will suddenly see law enforcement be armed with all the tools they need and all the ROE they require to clamp down on them very quickly. Like what we're seeing um, with the Palestine stuff? Like e- yeah, even very though similar it's, to what we're seeing with the Palestine stuff. Even though it's like Antifa, it's like the exact same people, but all of a sudden the police are authorized to like hit them with, you know, billy clubs and shit because, oh, yeah. well, you yeah. know. We all, we all know who <laughs> they're offending the wrong people. It's okay to go after the white right, people. Right, you right. can't go after the other ones. Right. And that's, I think that it's, if any of these people actually, it, it is going to take a lot for them to break the hold of the Democrat party over them. And it is not going to be probably as quick or satisfying as we'd like it to be. Oh yeah. 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 I just like that the I like that the conversation's happening and that the conversation is being predicated by Donald Trump himself. That is what uh, I, I find fascinating. And um to give kind of a background reaction to it, the DeSantis campaign sees this as a bad thing. Do they? Yep. They see this guy's endorsement as a bad thing. They they are ridiculing Trump and saying that um Donald like they're they're trying to make fun of Donald Trump for being honored to be endorsed by a terrorist organization like BLM. Oh, interesting. Those that those that is what I have seen repeated by the DeSantis campaign is ridiculing Trump for being honored for getting that endorsement. Should should Trump be bothered by that endorsement? No. Does Trump being endorsed by Mark Fisher, a guy who was an executive director of BLM, does that make you want to not vote for Donald Trump? Absolutely not, because what are my other options? Does it make... Like, I don't care. Does it bother you at all? Why would it bother me? Not even a little bit. Yeah. Like, especially because it's... What is the context of his endorsement of Trump? It's not, Trump's going to help us get revenge on Whitey. That's not what he's saying. (laughs) And if that's what he was saying... I would maybe be a lot more nervous. The fact that he's simply saying, I don't like I don't like the way the country's going. I have a similar complaint to Trump voters, therefore like well, about immigration, so that I'm positive on Trump. I go, well, I might not like this guy, but at the same time, the reasons he likes Trump are the same reasons why I like Trump, and that makes his endorsement not especially worrying. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like has Trump given me any indication that he's going to go especially soft on Black Lives Matter or pursue any kind of pro Black Lives Matter agenda? Not especially, not any more. But but he's not given me the indication that he's going to pursue a pro Black Lives Matter anti white people agenda. But I know that his opponents will do that, and I also feel relatively certain that Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, these other Republicans will go along with whatever anti-white people message the Democrats have. Donald Trump seems to be one of the few candidates that I feel like would at least push back on that a little bit. And that's really, uh, that is becoming more and more of an important point in my voting considerations is which candidate hates white people or which one is going to stand up for a colorblind or at least uh, 
at least less hate white people America. That's kind of what I like about Trump. And I feel like I feel like this Black Lives Matter guy is essentially would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't and I don't know. It's the reason the DeSantis campaign is attacking Trump on this point is because it feels like it's a good idea to use Black Lives Matter as a wedge to try and lever Trump voters away from Trump. The thing is, it doesn't really hold because the reason why the Black Lives Matter guy likes Trump is the same reason the Trump voters like Trump. And you're not targeting that specific point of the message. You're simply saying, look at this guy. He's a bad person. Do you want to be a bad person? Maybe vote for DeSantis. And that is a Democrat tactic. They do the same Mm. thing with a bunch of stuff. And we all kind of know that game already. And so it's hard to feel like that attack carries any real weight. That. You just you just kind of noted something. I know, I know we keep talking. I think it's important that we talk about this because we're getting so close to the primary and stuff. That is a Democrat tactic, and we know that game already. That is the perfect definition of when I did my research this week, going into the DeSantis campaign and trying to figure out how they've failed so poorly, right? And that is exactly it. Like they accuse the Trump campaign of using Democrat tactics sometimes, but when the Trump campaign does it it fucking works and it's coming from a different like they claim like well you know donald trump's attacking ron DeSantis from the left okay but it worked because ron DeSantis goes further down in the polls and donald trump goes up when ron DeSantis does it it's like i knew you guys were shit libs i knew you guys were fucking like rhinos i knew you guys were you know whatever i know you're working for the democrats (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a uh, <coughs> Sorry, a good example of that is talking a little bit about this, uh, the debate that happened. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, like I said, I played, I played the audio. Ron DeSantis had some really good lines from that debate. I have no idea what political gain you have debating the governor of California who's not running for president. Like, good job. No, Ron DeSantis did a great job debating Gavin Newsom. I have no idea what political capital was gained at fucking all from that debate whatsoever. So a bunch of people got to see Ron DeSantis. So just in case nobody knew Ron DeSantis existed, congratulations. You have now let people know that Ron DeSantis is a person with a pulse and a politician and the governor of Florida. You also let people know that uh, he will go on a stage and debate a random Democrat for some reason because Mm -hmm. it has... He's, he's not running against Gavin Newsom. Um, he's supposedly going to be running against Joe Biden, who's also not Gavin Newsom. So that's interesting. Right. So I, I, I literally have no idea what this was supposed to be. At best, and I think that a lot of this is what a lot of people saw, was it was supposed to be some sort of like chide against Trump because Trump doesn't show up to the debates. He's like, I don't need mm-hmm. to fucking debate people who are polling at 9%. Um, and so DeSantis was like, well, I'll debate Gavin Newsom sh- to show how unafraid I am of debating. Nobody cares. Like, you can go ahead and say that Donald Trump's afraid to debate. Sure. Fine. You're allowed to say that when he doesn't, when he decides not to go to the debates. That That is that is an opportunity that Donald Trump gives other campaigns to say. Sure. With that being said, nobody gives a shit. Like, okay, like it, it, it has become very obvious that even when the DeSantis campaign says, "Well, Donald Trump's afraid to debate," everybody goes, "Yeah, okay." I'm still yeah. not going to so watch. Yeah, Don't cool. Care. I'm still not going to watch your debate because it's probably going to be gay. 
<laughs> so yeah, the problem is that that's not Donald Trump refuses to debate. It, again, all a lot of this feels like it doesn't really it intentionally avoids a discussion of where America is at today. Yeah. Donald Trump avoids debate. Okay, but debate isn't going to save the country. So yeah, exactly, it doesn't the, matter. This is the whole thing: is the the debate. One of the things that's been very I've watched all of the GOP debates, and one thing that I can tell you is nobody gives a shit. Debates are antiquated and they're dumb. Donald Trump blew up debates. One of the reasons why he is so popular. There was a comedian that I shared with Alan, and I don't have the clip in front of me, so I can't show you all. But there's a guy who does a really good Donald Trump impression. And he talked about Trump debating. And his reaction to it was like, holy shit, I didn't know you could even do that. Like Trump came out and just started insulting people. One of, one of the first big lines that Donald Trump ever had, ever had, was in the first GOP debate when he called out the fact that every seat in the venue was given to a donor. That's hilarious. It was one of the first big things that Donald Trump ever did was he said something about Jeb Bush. I can't remember exactly what he was going after him for, but he said something about Jeb Bush and a bunch of people started booing and Trump pointed at the audience and goes, that's where all of his donors are sitting. That's where those are all his donors booing for everybody at home. Those are all his donors. And a bunch of people rolled their eyes. He's like, don't roll your eyes. He's like, they told me. He's like, everybody that's sitting out here is a donor. That's who they give you tickets for. Nobody here bought a ticket. These aren't regular Americans. These tickets are given to the campaigns and we're supposed to give them to the donors. These are all donors in this audience. And it yeah. literally blew up the debate. It was one of the first things that Donald Trump ever said to the nation, aside from his you know escalator and whatever. One of the first things that he said to the nation in a debate was, everybody in this fucking audience is a donor. So you just heard a bunch of people boo. It's fake. Those aren't Americans. They're not you. Those are all of Jeb Bush's donors booing. Those are people who have a vested like, money interest in this motherfucker right here. And it blew up the entire debate. It changed mm -hmm. everything. But anyway, point is, these days, the only Republicans get together for three fucking hours and babble about shit nobody cares about. And yeah. it's all to get a 30-second clip to put on Twitter. So there's no point in debates. Yeah. Like, do you want to sit for three hours and listen to people debate about how much money we should be giving to Israel? Because that's what the last GOP Not debate really. was about. So yeah. to be fair, I, yeah, I don't give a shit about the debates either. And I don't care that Donald Trump doesn't show up to them because they're not talking about anything. The only person who has said anything good at the debates is Vivek Ramaswamy. And it's because he yeah, got basically... Yeah, I'd listen to more of that. I'd like to hear more of what he has to say because it drives a conversation that I think needs to happen. But that's really the only point of any debate. Does it drive a conversation that needs to happen into the open air? Exactly. It, what is it? It's the only... Um, there's a great quote from a book called Rules for Radicals that I highly recommend everybody read. It's sort of the Democrat playbook, but the thing is it's not necessarily wrong. It's uh, one of the things is the, um, oh, it's the action is the reaction. Mm -hmm. And the whole yes. goal of a lot of Democrats, say, political posturing is to create a reaction that they can capitalize on. Well, that's a great way to run politics. 
And so I think that we need to start adopting a lot of those principles. And so what is a debate useful? It is only useful in the reaction that it causes. Yeah. Which, that's it. Tr- which Trump which is, did. Which it can be, but it also can't be. So do you structure debate? Do you structure political stunt? Do you do a campaign stop? What is the reaction that it causes? And that is the goal rather than the event itself. Yeah. No, it's and just you- an adult and that is just an adult and serious way to go about running a political campaign that is trying to achieve what are any more relatively radical goals. Right. Yeah, it's just, and that was, that's the unfortunate feedback from basically the, um, the debate here was, it was like, I don't care what Ron, I don't care about what Ron DeSantis has to say to Gavin fucking Newsom. I don't give a shit. And to your point though, there was nothing, there was no virality that came out of that. There was no shifting of the conversation. It was all stuff we already knew. It didn't, I, I don't feel like it moved the political needle one iota. And unfortunately, because of how weird a political stunt it was, Gavin Newsom was given the ability to basically have a kill shot. I played an entire clip of all of the great stuff that Ron DeSantis said, and the stuff he said was great. And I liked the things that he pointed out. But at the end of it, Gavin Newsom had the kill shot because of how stupid this political stunt was. And that was, well, there's one thing that we can come together on. Neither of us will be our party's nominee for 2024. And the reason... Yeah, that's brutal. And the reason why Gavin Newsom was able to take that shot and the reason why this was a stupid idea is unlike Ron DeSantis, Gavin Newsom had nothing to lose in this debate. Yeah. So Gavin Newsom could sit there, lie his ass off and not give a shit about any of it because what does he care? He He's on his second term as California governor. And he might have a he might want to have a political future after this, maybe 2028. He's going to run for president. And this debate doesn't matter at all to any of those ends whatsoever. He keeps his job as governor, no matter how he does in the debate. And the Democrat Party will likely endorse him heading into 2028 for the presidency. So great job. Whereas Ron DeSantis, his entire campaign hinged on this. And to get an idea of how well... Now, I think that Ron DeSantis did great at the debate. Don't misunderstand me on that point. I think he did great at the debate. It's a little notable, though, that a whole bunch of people from his super PAC, Never Back Down, started quitting. Mm -hmm. We're a little over a month away from the Iowa caucus, and their CEO resigned, and then nine days later the CEO that they had to replace him also just resigned. Also the never back down uh, press secretary, I believe it was also just resigned and they've had to fire people. So people are running for the exits in the Ron DeSantis campaign immediately after this debate. Now I don't think it was because of the Mm -hmm. debate. There's a lot of weird shit going on, but point is we haven't even hit Iowa yet, and a bunch of people are quitting the DeSantis campaign, and Nikki Haley just picked up the endorsement of Americans for Prosperity, which is the Koch brothers. Cool. So it's fucking crazy. 
And, and both those people are polling at like sixteen percent. So I don't understand <laughs> what it's just well, a waste of money. How? Yeah. Why are the, these candidates? The Koch brothers are literally throwing millions of dollars at somebody polling at nine percent. What does that tell you, Alan? And this is going to have to be it the last thing because we're it, at time. It tells but. me that that. that People like the Koch brothers are very confident that Donald Trump is going to be rendered um, mm. impossible to elect for president. Somehow, by means fair or foul, he will not be allowed to become president. And so they are spending millions to make sure that their guy is the runner-up. Yeah. This rush for second place, and this is, I wouldn't even say the conspiracy, it feels very valid and that's the concern, and this will have to be the final point on the show here, but it feels very much like the hope from all these other campaigns is that a charge comes down on Donald Trump, and then they pressure the Republican Party to abandon Trump and just nominate them. For all of the complaints that they have about Trump seemingly wanting to be coronated and all of, the, of this other shit, it seems like that's exactly what these campaigns want. Well, Trump's going to go to jail because the Democrats are going to make sure that he gets charged with something, you know, 95 indictments, something's going to land. And all of those campaigns are going to go, come on, Republican Party, who cares that the voters want Trump? He's in jail now. You should just nominate my guy. So, yeah, they do want a coronation. They just want it to be for fucking them under the guise that they're saving the country. They're going to stab you in the back for your own good. And that's why nobody is supporting any of these other candidates. Whether that's true or not, it certainly looks that way. But that's going to have to be it for this week. Be sure to go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio. Become a subscriber for $2.99 a month and join our Discord and get into the discussions there. Um, you can also obviously follow us on X or Twitter um, and uh, really any social media. Just look for Wrong Think Radio and you can also get this as a podcast. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>